Amen. Amen. Let's all uh, get our Bibles out together. Don't stand quite yet. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I'm glad you're here today. Next Sunday, I want to encourage you to be here. It's Refresh Sunday. We have a guest preacher all day, Brother Dave Delaney. And I promise you, if you come, you're going to be blessed. And really, if you're going to be here any Sunday between this and next, next Sunday is a Sunday to be here. So make sure you choose to be at that one. Amen. And we have a rally on Saturday. We're real excited about that. We should have. Uh, I'm praying at least for 10 churches of teenagers that are going to be here with us on Saturday. And there's a couple in our area that contacted me this week that are going to be with us. I know we have others all the way up to Amarillo that are going to be uh, here for that. But it's going to be a great time for the teenagers. When, did we, when were we going to do that meeting? Is it this morning? Um, anyone interested in helping with the food or setup for that, we'll have a quick meeting uh, up here in the front after the service. So if you would stay for that, and we'll try to get everybody pointed in the right direction there. Uh, but next Saturday is going to be a great time together. Then Sunday, a good revival, refresh Sunday that we're going to have. And I'm very excited about Brother Dave Delaney. I know he'll be a help to you. And then next Sunday morning in Sunday school hour, we're going to be having a combined Sunday school. I encourage all the members to be here if you can. And Brother Delaney, I heard him give a session in California uh, back in September on biblically addressing gender issues. And as Christians, we... We know where we stand, but often we can't communicate that biblically or in the right spirit. And so with uh, Brother Delaney being with us uh, next Sunday morning in the Sunday school hour, he's going to share. He pastors there in Long Beach, California. And uh, if it's a problem anywhere, it's a problem over where he is. And so he's dealt with it in ministry. And uh, he has a very godly presentation on that that I want to encourage everybody to be here for uh, next Sunday morning at 930 in the fellowship hall. Okay? Uh, But I'm glad you're here today. And I, I read this week, heard a story about... This new family that moved into town and became part of a, a church, and their little boy came to Sunday school one Sunday morning after they shortly uh, became members at this church, and he was uh, a little upset. And he's, he had looked like he'd been crying, his face was all red, and the, the teacher asked him what was wrong, and he kept saying nothing. And so finally, the boy, boy said, my dad told me we could, I couldn't go fishing this morning. And, uh, well, the teacher said, well, that's good. He wanted you to be in church. That's what parents are supposed to do. And she said, it's, it's good parents that make, make sure you're there where you need to be on Sunday. And he said, no, you don't understand. My dad said, there's not enough bait for the both of us. And uh, so I'm glad fishing isn't a problem for you this morning. Maybe something else is. Uh, but let's go and stand together. Everybody's here today. We're going to read out of Luke chapter 10. Jesus made it clear as we finished the ninth chapter, uh, discipleship, being a disciple. Uh, we can't look back. We need to press forward for him. We need to make sure our priorities are uh, in heavenly things. And discipleship is following Jesus above everything else. and involves following him, bringing others to him. And so we're going to read here. This is the only account in the New Testament uh, in terms of the harvest that includes Jesus' instruction to the 70. So we're going to learn a little bit about them today. But here, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 10, it says, After these things, the Lord appointed other seventy also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor script nor shoes and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house ye enter first, say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. 
And into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same, and say, Even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. But I say unto you that it, is, that, she be, that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. We're going to preach all the way through verse 24 this morning. We're going to stop there for time's sake. But as we look at this text this morning, we see a harvest. You know, we see the end of the text that we're going to deal with, dealing with joy in the Lord because of service. And so this morning, we're going to look at the joy of the harvest. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, God. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. God, the privilege that it is to serve you, Lord, I pray that you'd help us, God, as we're here today to receive your word. Lord, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, speak to every heart this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd give me the words to say to clearly communicate your message. But God, I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit, use me, and Lord, speak to the hearts that are here. Lord, convict us of the things we need to be convicted of. Encourage us to, uh, Lord, add on things that need to be added today. Lord, bless us, we ask, be the children in the other building. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you are here last week, we referenced in our message in the book of Luke, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And we looked there in the Gospels on how Jesus came to save us there in the book of Acts and deciding to follow the one who saw and saved us. And he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we see Jesus came to this world not only to save but then to draw more people to him and to draw people to follow him. And before he left this earth, he made it clear that as he came to seek, then we as Christians, his followers, are to go out and seek as well. And so we see Jesus in this passage doing more training. And beyond the 12 disciples that we find in the Gospels and that we read much about and we know much about today, Jesus was also instructing a large group of people on what he would have them to do as they're about to go out on this evangelistic mission. And to make clear his reason for this, he, he spoke of the harvest and he said, the harvest truly is great. Or for you to look in some of the other Gospels, we would find it worded, the harvest truly is plenteous. Over a decade ago with the Barner Research Group, they posted a survey that was eye-opening to many churches and Christians in that day. And it said they found that 33% of Americans were unchurched. You know, that means they had no affiliation of any church whatsoever. And then it found beyond that, 20% of Americans, or 20% of those who had church membership, believed that living a godly life will place them in, in heaven, or living a good life or doing good works will place them into heaven. And as you add those statistics, and we, we look at many of the, of the other details in that, meaning false religions or cults that weren't included in that, they came to about 50 to 60 percent of the population at that time. We had concrete evidence, did not do what the Bible says a person must do to go to heaven, or did not understand or believe or worship in a place that did. And it's safe to say in America from a survey that was 15 years ago, that the numbers are even higher now than they were then. And there's more and more people added to this category as, as the years go by. And so as we look here in Luke chapter 10, what Jesus was giving to the 70 that were there, what he was instructing his disciples in about the harvest, we understand today the harvest still truly is plenteous. There are many people and many fields that are ready to, for us to go out and to do the work that God has called us to do and, sp and to spread the message that he has called us to spread today. There's people to reach. And there's a work to be done. One of the greatest dangers of the modern church is that we do not see this as important work. 
And in many churches across our world today, many things are coming before the work of reaching the lost of the gospel. And, and yes, we come to church for fellowship. We come to church to be encouraged. We, we come to church, and it's good for us to have people of like faith that we can fellowship with and spend time with. But beyond those things, beyond a, a social club experience, church, a church is supposed to do the job of spreading the gospel. And we see Jesus doing just that in the book of Luke and in the Gospels as we see him. As he ministered to the needs of people, he was meeting them where they were. He was healing them. He was doing great things in their life. But beyond their physical needs, we see him often going beyond that, don't we? He was able to see the deepest needs of their heart. We've heard that phrase, the harvest truly is plenteous, or the harvest truly is great many times. We've heard the messages preached. We've understood where Jesus was and his mind was in those moments. And if we were to look at the Matthew account of this text, it says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So as Jesus looked at the people, he saw more than the physical. He saw this scattered group of people that were tired, that were weary. And, And then we see Jesus having compassion on them because of the need that they, many of them knew and the need that many of them didn't know of in their life. The word compassion literally means to be moved at the heart. He saw the reality of all the people around him. He saw them as sheep having no shepherd. We read about the shepherd this morning. He needed the disciples to see them that way as well. He wanted the 70 to see people the way that he saw them. He saw them as they really were. You know, when Jesus looked at the multitudes, Jesus could see beyond the facades of uh, self-sufficiency or the self-righteousness that many of the Jews had in that day, the the great self-confidence that many had. He he could look at those people and see beyond those things, and he saw pain. He saw loneliness that they may not have communicated with other people. He saw insecurities. He saw misery and heart. and, And we see Jesus in that text saying he saw a people who fainted. means they were growing weary. There was a load of sins that was on them or a load of unrealistic expectations that they were trying to live by as we understand what the law was was, was all about and showing them that they could never be righteous. But people were trying to live according to this law and fulfill all these things and be good enough to be righteous in the sight of God, but they never could. And it was weary. It tired them. Then Then he saw people that were scattered, meaning they were cast down or thrown out. People that were aimlessly wondering through life with no direction or planned destination, just trying to live and survive. I was reminded this week of what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 142 when he said, no man cared for my soul. There's many people that feel the same way today. There's many people today that wonder if if there is a God that cares for them. There's many people today that... uh, may have all kinds of things in their life, maybe have, have comfort, may have uh, money, may have position, may have all these things and possessions, but they, they may feel that no one cares for them, aimlessly wondering. It's safe to say, we saw the statistic a little bit ago, that millions live in this country with no one praying for them, no one who's ever told them about Jesus, no one who's ever invited them to church. And if it's safe to say that, It's also safe to say today that there are many Christians who are saved and on their way to heaven that are going about life without doing something about the lost. And and as we look at the scriptures this morning, that's not what Jesus taught. If you've noticed any pattern in the last 12 months, I'm not preaching the same message every week, but somehow this keeps coming up. 
That there's a duty that we as Christians or we as followers of Christ have to share the gospel and to spread the good news of Jesus with everyone. That isn't the heart of Jesus to not share that news. And, and, And as we look at the life of Jesus, it was that passion that Jesus had for souls. It was that compassion that moved him to feel that certain way and to and to see the people as they were that brought him from heaven to earth and to be the sacrifice for all of mankind. For his creation that rebelled against him and that was lost in sin and it moved Jesus. But does it move us? Do you have compassion for the lost? The harvest is great. And we look at our world, the harvest is ready. What are we to do about the harvest? We look at this text this morning and the first thing we find is the calling of laborers. Jesus called 70 disciples in for some instruction before they went out, and we see that he sent them out in teams of two, so there were 35 teams that went out and about in the area to accomplish this commission. And we see this pattern of Jesus, we see the instruction of Jesus, and the way he designed it was to go in pairs, and we believe ministry is done best with teams of people, not just one person trying to serve many, but everyone joining together and serving. And let's let's do it how God designed it today. But as as I look at this, We look throughout the Gospels and we find Jesus doing a lot with the 12, don't we? And we see this group of 12 special men, these people that were hand-selected, hand-picked, that followed him around, that went everywhere with him. But then we see Jesus here in Luke chapter 10 calling out 70 men to go and serve. 70 people that were volunteers going to serve Jesus. And as we get the details this morning and we see what is happening here in Luke chapter 10, serving Jesus is not a call for a small minority, but for every Christian. An old preacher once said, every saint should be a servant and every, serv- every member a minister. Jesus had those 12 disciples, those that were close, those were, that seemed to be in his inner circle, but what I find is encouraging is that he wasn't interested in just the 12 doing something. He had a desire for all that were following him, for all that were under his teaching to live out a purpose for him. And if you're in here today, it is God's desire that not only are you saved, not only are you his child, but then that but then that you are going out and seeking others to be saved. Going out and seeking others to be discipled and, and seeking others to serve and seeking others to go and seek others. And you may be here today and, and you see certain people in certain positions. You know, Pete, certain people taught the children this morning, certain people uh, sang, certain people are involved in handing out offering plates or welcoming people as they come in. You see certain people in positions, and, and, and people may come in here and wonder, uh, they probably can't use me. I want to tell you, we can. A healthy church is one full of people serving and being trained to serve. At the end of 2023, we finished a soul winning course for uh, many of our churches. It was exciting to see those that came out for that. And we're looking to train people to be able to go out and and tell others about Jesus. We'll have another one of those uh, in the summer on Saturdays. We have opportunities for people to contribute in ministries here and help in certain capacities. We're going to need more teachers before too long. We're going to need more people helping in certain areas where there is a harvest to be reached. Reaping a harvest is hard work. We need every member, every part of the body to work to accomplish that purpose. You know, if we read early in the Gospels, we see Jesus calling out the 12, and a couple different times we see him saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He's speaking to those fishermen, he was using that as an illustration, and of course to catch fish. 
That requires the fishermen to go where the fish are, doesn't it? Couldn't catch fish on dry land, you have to catch fish in the water. You have to go to where the people are. Those of you that have farmed or have a farm know that the harvest doesn't just gather itself, does it? You have to go to where the field is. You have to get down where the, where the crop is to harvest it. It would be awful nice if the, 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 the pile of, of green beans would be picked and waiting there for us on the porch, but they're not. It has to be gone and picked. It doesn't work like that. You, know, you could be a church member. You could be a Christian. You could be in church every service. You could read your Bible every day, you could pray, you could uh, listen to the right things, you can live holy lives, but we will not see a harvest, and you will not have part in the harvest unless you go where they are. They're out there. We, we, we've said this often. You know, every person that you speak to is a soul that is either going to heaven or hell. Every person. Whether you like them or not, whether you know them or not, every single person you come in contact with is a soul that is either going to heaven or hell. And, and in order to go to heaven, they need Jesus. I want to encourage you, give, give tracks, carry them with you. I want to encourage you when you're at the restaurant here in a little bit and, and invite your waiter or waitress to church. When you, when you go to the store, hand out a track, ask them if they go anywhere, ask them if they know Jesus. When you're at work tomorrow, talk to people about the gospel. This is a life of, or death situation for all of eternity. There's a call. And then we see this petition of Jesus. You know, the problem wasn't the harvest. The harvest was there, right? It was ready, ready to be picked. The problem was the laborers. There was a great harvest, but there wasn't enough laborers. And we look here, Jesus wanted to use all who were willing. But there was something that Jesus mentioned that needed to be done. What, 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 did he, what does he say there? In verse 2. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. You know what you can do? You can pray for laborers. We need to pray because the harvest making is God's work. We need to pray today as a church for God to move Christians to serve him. You know, we understand today that God speaks to us, don't we? We have the word of God, he's speaking to us through his word. There's often this still small voice in our heart, this, this, the Holy Spirit convicting us or moving us to do something. God speaks to us, but are we listening? We can go all the way back to the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 30, and it says, In thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand, when you turn to the left, the Spirit of God, the words of God would move them to walk a certain way or to do a certain thing. Jesus in the Gospel of John says, my sheep, there's that word sheep again, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The sheep hear the voice, they move where the shepherd says to go. In John chapter 14, Jesus answered, he said, if a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him and he will come unto him and make our abode with him. And then he said a few verses later, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. God works in the heart. This morning I, I, could, I can work on this message as, as much as I can. I can try to have it memorized. I can try to express it uh, clearly and, and maybe say a joke much, more, much better than what I said it at the beginning of the service and not vomit again, okay? I can work all week on delivering certain things, but it is not up to me for God to work in your life. 
It's, it's, not up to, it's not up to me to convince you to do something. It is God that does the work. It's the Holy Spirit of God that does the convicting. It, it's the Holy Spirit of God that can move people to do something. The Holy Spirit of God is there. And God in a still small voice will communicate and, and work and stir in what we must do as a church. Understanding the need for laborers is first of all pray for God to work in others' hearts that they will go out and spread the gospel. Pray for laborers. Uh, a great focus of my prayer the last several months is, is praying for laborers. To pray for, for more, to continue to step up and to reap the harvest that is before us. You know what I'm praying for? I'm praying for, as I mentioned a moment ago at the restaurant today, some people give a track to the, to the wait, give a good tip, but give a track to the waiter or waitress. Invite them to church. Let's, let's pray that uh, together, that as each of us are at, at work or going about our life tomorrow, that God will give us opportunities. And when the opportunity is there, we take a step of faith and, and, and give that invitation or ask someone what they know about heaven. Let's, let's pray for each other that when we get around that family member that we know is lost without Jesus, when we have that ca casual conversation with our neighbor over, over by the fence, that we can have the boldness to spread the gospel and tell them that God loves them. Let's pray for each other. And as we pray for laborers, we don't not only need to pray for laborers, but pray for God to work in the heart of the hearers because it is God, as I mentioned, God that works the soil. God does the work in the heart. The new birth, the salvation experience is the miracle of a moment that only God can do. We need to pray for that. What's another reason we, sh we, could, we should pray? What's another benefit to us praying for laborers? As we pray for laborers, and as we, de as we develop a burden for the lost to begin to pray for them as we should, you know what God will do in your heart? God will develop a compassion in your heart to spread the gospel. If we pray for others as we should, God will grow in us a desire to go into the field and to work for the harvest. I was just thinking this week about Isaiah and Isaiah chapter 6. We looked throughout that book, Isaiah had time with God. He had much time giving his burden for his people and God telling him what he was going to do, how he was going to judge them and spending that time in the presence of God and spending that time talking to God about the people when God said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? What did Isaiah say? Here am I, send me. His communication with God strengthened his burden more and more to do what it was that God wanted him to do. And it will do the same for you. There's a warning here. We need to pray for laborers. We need to go and reap the harvest. But there's a warning of some problems. Jesus told the 70 there in verse 3, he says, Go your ways, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. We read the other Gospels, there's a warning about wolves being out there ready to attack. Jesus is referred to as the shepherd. And those under Jesus are referred to as sheep. And one thing the shepherd protects sheep from is the other animals, the other enemies out there that would try to come and take them like a wolf. And Jesus wants to send me. Jesus wants to send you to find sheep and bring them in to be under him as the shepherd. But there are wolves that want to take the sheep. And, and as we're in church today, we need to understand not everyone that mentions the name of Jesus is speaking the truth of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. 
the book of Acts, he says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter among you, not sparing the flock. So when there's a group of Christians, especially a group of people that are just beginning to understand what the Bible says, there's people, uh, other, other people that will claim to be believers or claim to be doing things in the name of Jesus that might be doing something contrary to what the Bible says. You know, I want to promise you, as I've already stated as your pastor, I will never use this pulpit to badmouth another preacher. To talk bad about other churches is more important things for us to do. And we can speak the truth of God without doing those things. But I also want to stand here today and state with biblical ground that any church, any religion, any, any preacher that would preach that salvation comes through any way but Jesus Christ is preaching a false doctrine. You can't go to heaven by works. You can't get to heaven by some way else. You can't get to heaven by through purgatory, you, no one else can save you, no one can get baptized for you, you can't be saved, you can't go to heaven by getting baptized. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father, there's that word, but by me, only way is Jesus. And if anything is preached, any other way is preached, it is not what the Bible says. Secondly, any church that preaches that the Bible does not mean what it once did. And that it tolerates or promotes anything that God has stated to be sin is preaching false doctrine. Much of what we find in the Bible, not just the Old Testament, but the New Testament, is clear instruction on what not to do, isn't it? We need to heed to those things. And we need to be aware of anyone who would try to convince or explain away sin as acceptable. As a pastor, I must stand on that. As a church, we must, we must stand for that and not partner with anyone who is breaking those things or teaching things contrary to the word of God. There are false teachers out there. He gave, us, gave them the warning, and then, then we continue on. He kind of gave them very detailed instructions on how they were to go about, right? We see them, they needed to travel light. There's no purse, no script, no food, no money. You're just going with the shoes on your feet to the destination I've given you. Even goes as far to say, salute no man along the way. It seems like there was an urgency to this mission. There, there was to be nothing to distract them. Now, he gave that, those instructions to the 70. I don't believe, as we look through the rest of the Bible, those specific instructions or details are designed for us. Our soul winners, you're encouraged to have money. We don't want you to get rid of all your money before you go witness to people. Ladies, if you want to carry a purse with you or if you want to carry a, a bag or some things you do, that, that's okay to do. But while those specific instructions do not apply to us, the main point of that does. Jesus was looking for these people to be all in. We are not to dabble with God's commission. We must stay focused on it. And as he was telling them these things, what he was communicating was material things and the possession of them should not distract us from the mission. Because it's very easy for us to get entangled with the things of life, isn't it? You know, a commentator once said, these are the things which make it difficult to die. Earth and what we have on earth must never blot out heaven in our minds. Secondly, we must never allow the commission to not be a priority. He says, salute no man along the way, and this was not instruction for his 70 that he was sending out to be rude to those that they would pass along. But it means that those ministering needed not to turn aside or linger on lesser things to a point where the greater thing was ignored or overlooked. 
You know what we need to do as a church? Keep the main thing the main thing. Last chapter, in the very end of it, we see this man that was looking to uh, serve Jesus, but he, Jesus said, follow me. And what did he say? I'll, I'll do that, but let me go bury my father first. And Jesus said, no. So let the dead bury the dead, and I want you to go and preach the kingdom. And we read that, and we see Jesus is not letting this man bury his father. We think that is pretty harsh. Why would he tell him he couldn't do that? What we do know, according to this time, that his dad wasn't dead. If his father was dead, they would have been burying him that very day. He would have been taking care of it right at that moment. He wouldn't have even been in the presence of Jesus at that time. You know what that man wanted to do? He wanted to delay his service until his father passed. He says, Jesus, there's a few things in my life that aren't quite right for me to make this commitment. And so if I, can I wait until those things are done for me to then go and do what it is that you've instructed me to do? And Jesus said, no. If you're going to follow me, you're going to follow me. You need to be all in. You need to be committed. You need to be all in. It needs to be a priority. The priority, the, the heartbeat of every Christian should be to tell the lost that they can know for sure they are going to heaven when they die. The word of God does not suggest that anyone would ever dishonor their parents or dishonor their family. But we do find it stated that we must love God more than our family. Our task is too important for us to let things overtake the duty ahead of us. You know, as a church, we're, we're going to have different things go on here over the years. We have opportunities for fellowship. I'm hoping here in a few years that we can possibly host youth sports here at the church and have that as an outreach and our members involved in things like that. We're going to have men's and women's meetings and camps for the young people, conferences, retreats. There's a lot of fun things that are going to happen. But we need to have every one of those things with every soul's eternity in mind. You know, your life is to be used to spread the gospel. He says, we need laborers. Pray for them and be one yourself. That's the commission. That's the first point. We have three points, but these next two are very short, okay? So we see for next the rejection of laborers. So we look there beginning in verse 5. There's instructions to the calling given to us. He tells them there, when you're accepted, bless them. Grant them good wishes. Bid those well that receive you. Eat with them. Accept the food that is provided. That's God's provision given to them. It's to be seen as that. God is providing for them on their journey. And God gave them temporary power to heal. He gave, he gave them that. They were able to help people in the name of Jesus. So he says, when you're, accept, when you're accepted, do that. Then he says, when you're rejected, what do you do? If someone rejects the message of the gospel, how do we respond to that? Do we respond negatively? Do we wish them hard times? What, what does Jesus say there in verse 11? Even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you, notwithstanding, be sure of this. He says, if they receive you not, go your way, wipe the dust off your feet. As they did that, they would separate, they would move on to the next one. We're commanded... To go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's the mission, right? We are to live as light in this world and live in a way where when we witness to someone, they can take us seriously as a person that loves Christ. And remember this as you spread the gospel. People are responsible for themselves if they reject the message. 
It's not your fault if they reject the message. We have no right to really be upset with them if they reject the message. And he was saying, if, if you go to the city and you preach me, that you've done your job, and if the message was delivered, it's up to that person's individual soul liberty that I gave them at creation to choose to accept it or not. And then leave the judgment to God. Church, I want to encourage you, always leave the door open to be able to witness to that person again. Make sure that in frustration or in our disappointment of them rejecting the message, that we're not saying something to push them off from church forever. That's not the message that Christ would have us deliver. Leave the judgment to God. Jesus spoke of judgment coming to those cities there in verse 12 and through uh, 14 or 15. He said, I'm going to handle it. He said, woe to Chorazin, woe to Bethsaida. You know, if you look at those cities, you look at Capernaum, those were cities that Jesus did many things in. Throughout the book of Luke already, we've seen him in those towns meeting people, healing the sick. We've seen him raise the dead. We've seen him uh, help lepers. We've seen him give sight to the blind. All those things right in front of the people in those cities. And, and Jesus looked at them. And he says there in verse 13, Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, who have been done in you, they had a great while also repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. You know what he said? I've done all these things in front of the Jews. I've done all these things in front of those that have heard, that have heard about the Messiah coming, that have faith in God, that, that try to live by the law. They've rejected me. If I was to go to Tyre and Sidon, which were uh, cities that did, they were Gentile cities that knew nothing of God, they, they worshiped false idols. He says, if I went to those cities and did the things that I did, they would have repented, they would have followed me, they would have been sitting in sackcloth and ashes. They would have been doing nothing but worshiping him in a very lowly way. But these cities continue to reject him. There was a punishment coming. You know, Jesus speaks of that punishment. In the word of God, we understand there's a heaven and a hell. Those who are a child of God, those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus, go to heaven. Those who haven't, go to hell. And Jesus himself said, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. That's the punishment. Reject Christ. Lose the opportunity for heaven. It's sad as we look at this. These cities that understood the Messiah, understood what he was going to do for them, that those most likely to believe chose not to believe. Now there in verse 16, Jesus said, He that heareth you, heareth me. He that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. If someone rejects you, they re they're rejecting Jesus. And whoever rejected Jesus, Jesus said rejected his father. USA Today published an article one year after September 11th. And the title of the article was Delay Meant Death on 9-11. USA Today spent some time over that first year after the great tragedy that happened on September 11th. And they interviewed 300 survivors of the, of, of the building, of the South Tower. They concluded that the reason that those survived that did, they survived because as soon as anything happened, they fled. And as they heard the accounts of those 300 people, they would tell the story of those around them, those that delayed, those that investigated further, those that made phone calls, they didn't make it out. 
And in doing that, this article was written along the lines that, that their delay meant their death. Spiritual life is the very same for the world. You know, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And so many people understand they need Jesus. So many people understand that there is a God and that there is a heaven and a hell. And the Bible clearly states what we must do to go to heaven, but they say, you know what, I'll do that at some other time. I'll do it another day. But we don't know what a day holds. We don't know what a year holds. We don't know what our life's going to be like at the end of a certain situation or waiting to pass. What we do know is today we have an opportunity to be a child of God. Don't delay. God has given us a way. It's a warning for us. As we finish these last few verses, we see the joy of the laborers. Look there in verse 17 with me. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall, shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me and my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. And he turned him away, turned him unto his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. You know, Jesus spoke of a certain joy that comes from the harvest being reaped. And the, the joy comes to three different groups. The first one, there is joy for the laborers, joy for the servant. You know what Jesus, you know what Jesus said, and he, he told them they were going to feel. He says, you come back from this mission, you, you spread my gospel, you spread my word, you heal people in my name, great things happen. They could rejoice because Jesus worked through them. There was obstacles that they could have never overcame in their life that Jesus allowed them to overcome through his power. They rejoiced because they were able to accomplish something for God. Not just the 12 disciples, these 70 men that came and volunteered to go out. Christian, what an awesome thing it is that God would use you. I'm up, here this, up here this morning rejoicing, what an awesome thing it is that God chose to use me. And if you're here today and you're a child of God, you can rejoice just doing what it is God's called you to do. And, and not just rejoicing what God's called you to do, but you can rejoice, as Jesus said there, because of salvation. Not only did God use them, but they knew no matter what happened in their life, no matter if people received their message or not, that their names were settled in heaven. And he says, no matter what happened, you can rejoice because you're my child. Jesus is your Savior. So Christian today, have joy. No matter how much money you have, have joy. No matter how good things are in your life right now, have joy because you're a child of God and God has a desire to use you to do something for him. What an awesome privilege that is. 
We see joy from the servant. We then see joy from the Savior. Verse 21, Jesus, Jesus spoke of, of the joy. He rejoiced in spirit. And he thanked God for what happened. The success of those 70 brought joy to Jesus. You know what the Bible says in Luke chapter 15, verse 10? I, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. When you do the work of God, when you spread the gospel, when you have a part in someone coming to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice over that one person. That's what the Bible says. Jesus rejoiced because there were men, sim- simple people carrying out his work. Not only do you bring joy by serving him, you bring joy when you serve him. Then the last group was the observer. He looked at his disciples and he said, blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. He goes, you've done things for me. But now you see these 70 who have no doubt these disciples had part in them being there. They saw God use those 70. Christian, there is joy in seeing God change a life. There there is joy in seeing his word fulfilled. There's joy in serving Jesus, but there's also joy in seeing God work in the life of somebody else. We we look at uh, just just the last year or so. You can go back farther than that. You can think of certain people that weren't here that are here now. You can think of certain people in your life that had nothing to do with God that now are saved, now are, are serving in certain capacities, now have gone through discipleship. We had one baptized just last week that has a desire to serve in, in certain ministries and be a part and, and reach others. You see certain people that have grown. You can look back in your life or in somebody you love and see victory and God working in them and work a miracle in certain ways. Praise God that your eyes were able to see that. Now as your pastor, I can't wait to look another year from now or look five years from now and rejoice with you over what God has done. Maybe this year as you choose to pray for laborers and as you choose to be a laborer, you could in a year from now look across the aisle or look to the other side of the auditorium and see someone holding a hymn book or someone at the altar that wasn't here until you invited them to church. Maybe you can look back at your child that, that needs to be invested in and see in just a year's time how they've grown in God and how they have a desire to give God praise and rejoice over how God is working in somebody else's life. Maybe you could know of a coworker whose marriage was being torn apart and their relationships were all broken up and God came into their life because you were able to, to pray for them or encourage them in a certain way and then you see them in church or see them uh, with joy in their life that they did not have before. God is allowing you as you serve him to see things that the prophets dreamed about seeing. Jesus makes a difference. And as God works in other people, Even if you had nothing to do with it, we can rejoice of the work that God can do in someone. There's joy in the harvest. You want that joy? Three things we can do. Go, greet, and gather. Every week. And then we can rejoice in what God has done. There's a commission. It's not easy. It's not always received well. There's going to be dry seasons. But being in the will of God and accomplishing things for him brings lasting joy. I want to read three verses and we're done. Colossians chapter 1. If you'd look there with me. 
Let's go and stand together. Colossians chapter 1, we're done. As you find your place there, let's stand. If you're saved, it's expected that you live for God. The Bible guides us. The Bible instructs us how we can do that. It's not immediately after salvation that we're doing everything God wants us to do. It's the process of a lifetime. We're going to look at that tonight. But as you continue to walk for God, one day you can praise him for all that he's done. Colossians 1 verse 10. Let's, let's read this out loud together. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Walking worthy brings joyfulness, leading us to giving thanks to God for all that he did. There's joy in the harvest. Don't miss it.